If you haven't already, open your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14 will be our key text today. And if you saw me run out a minute ago, let me tell you a sad story. Last night, we're, you know, shooting off fireworks and stuff like that, and at some point I'm looking up to the sky and I go, I'm glad I have my glasses on because I can feel stuff falling on my face. Somewhere between that time and this morning, I um, misplaced my glasses, which have a progressive lens in them now, and so these are my old glasses, which are single vision, which is fine, so I can see you all at a distance, but I can't really see my notes good, and I can't read my Bible anymore. So thankfully, I have reading glasses, which is missing one arm, leg, whatever you call that, that I had stashed in my office so that if they stay on my nose right, I can see that part, but then you're blurry. So this could be a really interesting sermon. So we're going to give it the best shot we can, and uh, you're going to give me grace because that's who you are, right? Thank you. Back when I went to college, went to Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. Hardin-Simmons at the time and uh, now even still is a school of about 2,000 students, and about uh, three-quarters of those lived on campus in six different dormitories, but we had one cafeteria, one central cafeteria. And, um, you know, you, you go in the cafeteria, and at that time when we started, they had, I think, five different lines to choose from, like an entree line, a hamburger line, a Mexican kind of line, a dessert line, and then heaven knows whatever they had left over at the far end, right? And uh, so most of the time I went through the entree line. You know, I'm a responsible young student and everything like that, my freshman year and that sort of thing. And about halfway through our freshman year, they get one of those waffle maker things, you know, like you see at hotels that you, you know, get the little cup and you pour the waffle batter in and inexplicably you have to turn it over. I don't know why you have to turn it over. Can it not cook right? The It's got cooker parts on both sides. But you know how you put it in there and you turn the thing over and then the timer goes and then it starts to sizzle and yeah, and it's nice and you're cooking your own waffle. Well, for me, you know, that's breakfast food, right? And I'll never forget one evening, I'm sitting there with my nice entree, you know, with my vegetables and my meat and my starch, and one of my buddies walks up, and he's got one of these waffles piled high with ice cream. I said, Steve, what are you doing? He says, this is my dinner. He says, I got everything I need right here. I said, how can you eat that for dinner? He looks at me, and he says, Aaron, your mother's not here. You can eat what you want. Guess what I had the next evening for dinner? A waffle with mint chocolate chip ice cream with whipped cream on top and chocolate chips to boot. I had it loaded high. It was amazing. And mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry I never told you that before. (laughs) Yeah, you never know what your kids eat when they go away to college, right? To me, a waffle just didn't seem like something you ate for dinner, especially with ice cream on it. But my friend Steve opened my eyes. I'll have to tell Steve about that. Steve Cohn, he's a a public school teacher down in Texas now. But when we look at our scripture today, we ask ourselves, based on the title to my sermon, Fish for Breakfast, 
If you've never been a fisherman or fisherwoman, a fisher person, never been fishing, never been to the type place where fish was all you had to eat, fish is not something you would consider a breakfast food, just like I didn't consider a waffle, certainly with ice cream, a dinner food. And when we consider this, well, let's read our passage of Scripture. John 21, verses 1 through 14, and I read from the NIV. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many The net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was the third time he appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we open your word, of course, we pray that you open our minds to understand and our hearts to obey, that we would follow you based on what you would teach us today. I know there's some lessons that apply to all of us the same, and others are going to be individual, because that's the way you work in your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Fish for breakfast and other lessons in discipleship. We have really one question answered here, even though I have questions throughout this text to help us apply it. But the overarching question, the theme of this passage of Scripture is this one thing. Will Jesus continue to provide for His disciples? They've been with Him for about three years. They've followed Him everywhere. They've seen Him do miracles. But He was clearly the leader of the band. And even though they had some money and provisions from others, and you know, with time Judas was the treasurer and kept it and all those sort of things, that when it came to who was in charge and how would things get done and how would we be provided for, it all started and ended with Jesus. But Jesus isn't there anymore. Now, Jesus has come back and appeared to them, uh, this scripture said three times, but it's actually, this would be the seventh if you count them all, post-resurrection appearance. The three is indicative of the three when the group of main disciples were together as this, with Peter, James, and John um, as the core of those three. And so, 
that question is, will Jesus take care of us? Are we on our own or do we follow the master? Do we go back to fishing and provide for ourselves or do we do what the master did and continue in itinerant ministry, going from town to town, sharing the gospel and trusting that God would provide for us along the way? That's really the crux of our sermon today. And that leads us to our scripture memory verse for the month, and they'll put that on your screens there. And if you're reading your bulletin as well, it's there in John 20, 30 through 31. John 20, 30 through 31. And let's say it together. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 20, 30 through 31. These are written that you may believe. The gospel of John was written for that purpose, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These stories that are told here, and even this story that we encounter today, is all about would they believe. Now, the first point on your outline today comes from verses 1 through 3, and that's that disciples go where Jesus says. Disciples go where Jesus says. Back to your scripture there. Afterwards, so after that last passage of scripture, John, as a gospel, is written later. He's summarizing things here, taking certain stories, and we know Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell some others, and John tells some, and sometimes they're parallel, sometimes they're not. That's the... Um, crux of our whole following Jesus sermon series that we're coming to a conclusion of here. But afterward, Jesus appeared to them again by the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias here. It says he manifested himself. Well, you might ask, why Galilee? Well, there could be a couple reasons. One, it may be that they were running away from the pressure and the scrutiny that was in Jerusalem. They couldn't take it anymore. It may be that they were discouraged by the death of Jesus and they were like, I guess it's all over. We're going back home and we're going to fishing. But I think the third option is probably the best. They were being obedient. Think in Matthew 28, 7 and Mark 16, 6, where Jesus commanded his disciples to go wait for me in Galilee, and then I'll appear to you again. So even though there were a few uh, appearances to other folks, even the group, the whole of disciples in the meantime, they were commanded to go to Galilee. And so... Disciples go where Jesus says. That's a hallmark of being a follower of Jesus is going where he says to go. Which asks a question of you and I. Am I where Jesus wants me? If you think about your life right now, you're in Lincoln, Nebraska. You might be somewhere else watching on the uh, video, the live stream. Are you where Jesus wants you? And not just physically are you where Jesus wants you, but in your relationships, are you where Jesus wants you? In your relationship with God, are you where Jesus wants you? It's a big question, but it demands asking. It assumes that we have heard clearly from Him. It assumes that we can hear clearly from Him. It assumes that we read our Bibles, that we pray, that we meditate, that we memorize, that we've considered the question, am I being obedient to what Jesus has called me to do, to be where He's called me to be, that I have acted and that I have spoken 
and that I have obeyed in faith. Well, disciples go where Jesus says. The second point on your outline there is that disciples do what Jesus commands. Disciples do what Jesus commands. That's verses 4 through the beginning of verse 6. They do what Jesus commands. So Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They don't recognize it's him. He calls out to them, it says in verse 5, and it literally says friends or children. He uses a diminutive term, and not that he was making fun of them, that they didn't catch any fish yet. It was more a term of endearment, like, hey, boys, hey, kids. He loved them. And he asked literally, do you have anything to eat? He didn't say, as it's translated in some of our Bibles, have you caught any fish? They answer no. Frustrated after a night of fishing, thinking maybe they got a little rusty, they didn't know the best spots anymore, all that kind of stuff. Because keep in mind, these guys, at least four of them, were fishermen. And by the fact that they say the boat, not a boat, we get the idea that it was probably Peter's boat, the boat that he owned as a fisherman before. And so he's gone back to his boat and his place, and he knows where to fish these waters. This is his lake, right? But they haven't caught anything. That happens from time to time, no matter how good a fisherman you are. The fish just aren't biting. But Jesus says to them, throw the net on the other side and you'll find some fish. Do you remember a story similar to this elsewhere in the Gospels? Luke chapter 5, to bring your memory back, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they caught a haul of fish that the nets were breaking. The question we have to ask, though, is this. How well do I obey Jesus? They didn't have any fish. Jesus tells them, Throw your nets on the right side. And they had a chance, a choice, obey or not. Keep on rowing into shore, cursing the fact that they haven't caught any fish all night long and they're going to have hungry bellies all day long. They're going to have to buy some fish from someone else with a look of shame on their eyes. Like, oh, you didn't catch anything. Can you sell me something to eat today? What about you? Do you obey Jesus' commands? In general, the things we know in the Bible about how we should live, do you obey them or only kind of when you feel like it? In specific, the things that you know God has called you to do of someone you're supposed to talk to, something you're supposed to do, something you're supposed to give, a way you're supposed to obey that you've struggled with in the past, some habit that you need to confess, somewhere where you need accountability, somewhere where you need encouragement. Have you obeyed that specific thing that God has called you to? Do we obey Jesus? Keep in mind John 14, 21, about the commands that if we have his commands and obey them, we are the one who loves him and he will love us, God, and show himself to us. That there is a relationship between obedience and blessing. As we obey, we are blessed. It's the way God works. So disciples go where Jesus says. Disciples do what Jesus commands. Let's look at the third point on your outline. Disciples experience Jesus' power. Disciples experience Jesus' power. That's in the latter part of verse 6. When they did throw their nets on the right side after not catching anything, they were unable to haul the large catch of fish. They, other disciples 
followed in a little boat towing the net a hundred yards off. And verse 11 says, Simon Peter even had to go back out to the boat and help drag it in. There was 153 fish so large and the net's not torn. It was a miraculous catch of fish. Now notice the difference between this point and the two that went before it. The two that went before it is disciples obey, go where Jesus says, and do what Jesus says. But this one, when we do obey, what's the result? This one is a result of our actions, that disciples experience Jesus' power. They experience Jesus here and His power here by this miraculous catch of fish. What about you? There's something that you've been going, oh, I can't do that. I know God has told me I need to do that. And you're holding back, you're holding back for fear, for shame, for pride, whatever your reason. And all the time, God is saying to you, obey. If you love me, obey. If you love me, I'll reveal amazing, miraculous things to you. And then when you do, boom, Jesus' power is experienced in a new way. It asks the question here for our third point, what miracles have I seen? I I trust, I'm assuming, that if you've walked with Jesus for some time in your life, you've seen miracles. Maybe you've seen or heard of people you knew that were credible physical miracles where somebody was healed, where, you know, the kind of story that there was cancer in the MRI and before they go to do surgery, they look and take another MRI and the cancer's gone. Where did it go? Doctors can't say. Well, those of us that are believers in Jesus can say they were healed. But maybe you've seen this sort of miracle where somebody was living a life a certain direction and they were so wicked for so long and you prayed so hard and then eventually something happened and they turned around. They did what the Bible says of repentance. They had a change of heart, mind, and direction and their life was different. And you went, wow, physical healing is quite a miracle, but a change of a life, man, that's an even bigger miracle. That's moving mountains. Disciples go as Jesus says. Disciples do as Jesus commands. And disciples experience Jesus' power. Let's move to your fourth point on your outline here. Your fourth point is that your disciples recognize Jesus' presence. Disciples recognize Jesus' presence. I got to put back on my reading glasses here to make sure I get this one right. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself in the Gospel of John. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, he has heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him. Now, we would go, Why did he do that? You know, he had kind of an inner garment, like a tunic. This was like a t-shirt and, you know, boxer shorts built together. It was one piece thing, right? And that's what they wore. And then they would have like a cloak type thing as their outer garment, which he would have taken off to give him free range of movement. And maybe they were working hard, even though they weren't catching anything. And so for whatever reason, he takes that and wraps that around him before he jumps in the water. I guess he wanted to be able to cover up more appropriately once he reached the shore. Or maybe he thought the other guys were going to stay out there. I don't know. But whatever reason, Peter does this thing, and I'm just commenting on it. It's a little bit odd. For he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The point to make here is not so much about Peter's garment. 
but about Peter recognizing Jesus' presence. Maybe because it was still not yet dawn. Maybe because it was a little foggy. Maybe because they were a little busy. Maybe because they were a little frustrated. You know, if you're frustrated, you don't necessarily look somebody in the eye or pay close attention. You're trying to figure out what's going on. At least I am. Maybe for any combination of these reasons, the disciples didn't realize that was Jesus. Or maybe like a few other post-resurrection appearances, there must have been something slightly different about his presence or his countenance that he didn't quite look like himself. But then, when they obeyed, then when there was the miraculous catch of fish, John, his mind goes, back two and a half years or so, to the miraculous catch of fish we have recorded in Luke chapter 5. And he says, light bulb, it's the Lord. And Peter, impetuous as he is, wraps that garment around him, dives in and swims 100 yards onto the shore while the other guys are struggling with the net. God bless Peter. Your question is, how do I know it's Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a student, a learner, an apprentice, a Christ follower, how do you know it's Jesus that's doing something in your life versus Satan just trying to get you to go a convenient way for him versus the obedient way that God's called you to? How do you clearly discern it's Jesus? Now, in this case, it was a split second. It was like, wow, nothing like this happens unless Jesus is around. And that was his voice. And look, I can tell that is him. And I'm tying that thing around me. I'm jumping in. But what about in your life? When something's going on in your life and you go, hey, is God behind this or not? Is God calling me to this or is that Satan tempting me to do something else? That discernment comes from what we referenced earlier. That a Christ follower, a disciple is in the Bible, is in prayer, and recognizes God's voice over other voices, and knows God's ways over other ways, and discerns God's purposes over other purposes, and can clearly know when it's Jesus. Disciples go where Jesus say, they do what Jesus commands, they experience Jesus' power, they recognize His presence, the fifth point on your outline. Disciples enjoy Jesus' service. Now, this is pretty cool. They finally get the boat ashore, and there's a fire there. And there's at least one fish cooking on the fire already. And there's bread. It's a practical illustration of Jesus' words from the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, in the upper room, where he says to them, as recorded in John 14, whatever you ask, I'll do. In John 15, verse 7, 11, if you abide in me and my words remain in you, I'm going to provide everything you need. John 15, 17, I choose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. That he is showing them symbolically by the provision of fish and bread, which they needed because until the point they obeyed, they had nothing to eat and were coming back to shore in the morning. I'm still taking care of you. Remember, that was our big overarching or foundational question for this. Were they going to do it their way or were they going to trust Jesus to prepare? So one more time in a physical appearance, a post-resurrection appearance, Jesus comes on the scene and shows them, I've got you. He says to them in verse 12, come have some breakfast. Then he says, bring some of your fish and add it to my fish. 
We've got enough to go around here. And he took the bread and broke it and gave it to them, recalling the Last Supper, recalling his love for them, their love for him, and the bond of unity they shared together as Christ and followers, family. Disciples enjoy Jesus' service. Your question there asks, how has Jesus cared for me? In your life, can you make a list of things where you know that you had a need and Jesus answered? You had a prayer request and Jesus answered. You had a concern and Jesus came through. And again and again and again and through your life, you can make a list of things. Spiritual markers, Henry Blackaby calls them, where God showed up in a unique way to demonstrate his power just to you and anybody else you'd testify to that God was at work and he loves you and provided for you and cared for you. His provision and his blessing. If you haven't already, write a list like that today. A thanksgiving list, a blessing list, a provision list of all the things that God has done for you. Disciples go as Jesus says. Disciples do what Jesus commands. Disciples experience Jesus' power. Disciples recognize Jesus' presence. They enjoy his service as he provides for them. Your sixth and final point on your outline today, disciples know Jesus' lordship. It's interesting the way it says it there. In the end of verse 12, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. When they were out in the boat, when they were in the midst of the struggle, when it wasn't yet dawn, when they were troubled by their circumstances, they couldn't see it was Jesus. But when they drew near to him, When they saw his miracle in the fish, when they saw his provision in breakfast, when they heard his voice as someone who loved him, then they knew it was him. The encouragement of that point is that maybe you, when you're in the midst of the struggle going, is this Jesus calling me or is this Satan deceiving me? Is this God's provision for me or is this my own way? is to take a step or two of investigation before committing, assured that you're going the right direction, that God in His grace would demonstrate to you, yes, you're obeying me, and it's me calling you. What's that point? Disciples know Jesus' lordship. Look at verse 14. It says, this was the third time that Jesus appeared to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. I already commented on that, actually seven if you count all four Gospels. But the third time they were all together. It begs the question, though, and our final question for application is, have I given Jesus first place in my life? That's not always a comfortable question, is it? Because if you're like me, it's real easy for it to be your life. It is natural for us in our sinful nature to control everything ourselves, to think what we want to think, to do what we want to do, to say what we want to say, and ah, I'm a nice guy most of the time, but I'm not exactly who Jesus has called me to be. I haven't obeyed this thing he specifically said, and that thing, I don't even want to talk about that. 
and these habits of sinfulness in my life, eh, we'll kind of keep those in the closet. But have we given Him first place in our life that He is Lord? If you go back to our big question, is Jesus going to provide? Is Jesus going to lead? It comes down to this question. Have I given Him first place? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is a challenging scripture for us to consider. Encouraging, yes, because we see the miraculous catch of fish. We see the hope from a relationship with Jesus in this post-resurrection appearance. But it challenges us that are we going to obey Are we going to do? Are we going to seek to offer first place to Jesus in our lives? We know we should, but boy, sometimes it's hard. So God, our Father, would you encourage us today with this lesson of fish for breakfast and other thoughts on discipleship that we would follow as you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.